All righty, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Let's take a seat. We'll get started. We'll be picking up at the, at the very bottom of Acts chapter 15, where we left a closing paragraph. We left it because it's the beginning of the second missionary journey, which we're going to start uh, this morning. And so let's ask the Lord's uh, blessing on our study time together. Now, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're here with us by your Holy Spirit. We ask that the Holy Spirit would open the eyes of our understanding. These truths are only understood in a spiritual way, uh, so we ask that the Spirit would speak to our spirit and make it clear to us. Show us what you have for us. Father, you brought each person here today for a reason, to encourage, to correct, to comfort. May your will be done, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's very sad, sad indeed, when Christian friends have a falling out. When relationships go south, they turn sour. Blowouts happen, even with God's people. And sadly, it's going to happen and unfold right here before our very eyes in chapter 15. Two Bible heroes are going to lock horns and part company. Two friends who have been in the Lord for many, many years. They've known each other for uh, 10 years, and they have worked and labored side by side uh, together for six years. And yet, uh, men of God that they are, they're going to have a sharp disagreement, and they are going to, as I said, part company. So ironic, because these two guys have just uh, been used of God to help bring unity to all of the churches, yet they cannot settle their own disagreement among themselves. Why does this kind of thing happen among Christians? Could it have been avoided? Whose fault was it? What impact did it have on the work of God? Can God bring any good of it? Well, I'm glad you're asking these kinds of questions. Because <laughs> you know what? We're going to talk about those very things as we get started with the second of three missionary journeys that are recorded here as the gospel's going viral by the power of the Holy Spirit and through the witnesses of the church, which are Christians, sharing that good news all over the Mediterranean world as we get started. And so let's pick up at verse 36. Sometime later... Paul, it's important, it's Paul's idea. Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, so we call him John Mark, but Paul didn't think it wise, underline, he didn't think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia in a town called Perga and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus and Paul chose Silas and left commended by the brothers to the grace of our Lord. 
he went through Syria and Cilicia strengthening the churches. All right, if you're taking notes, one of three points I'll be making this morning is number one, the team divides. The team divides there in Antioch. Now, let's get that first missionary journey map on the screen so we can kind of get the context of what's happened because John Mark is center stage here as causing the problem and what happened, happened when he deserted, it happened first missionary journey, all right? Acts chapter 13 and 14. And so they took off, Paul Barnabas had a call from God. The church laid hands on them and recognized that call. There was fasting and praying. And then they said, hey, we need a minister, servant, under rower, somebody to come alongside. And Barnabas said, well, wow, look at my gifted nephew, John Mark. And John Mark was indeed gifted. He is son of Mary, a different Mary, and he lived in the house where the upper room was. So this, this young man was very special indeed. So the three of them, they went, you, you, you remember, in red. Uh, well, oh, my bad, in blue to Cyprus and all the exciting things. Uh, But what happened here in Perga or Pamphylia is where John Mark took a green left and went home to mom in Jerusalem down there by the guitar. (laughs) He missed out on everything just about. Only ministry uh, on Cyprus is what he was involved in. I mean, when they went up here to Antioch, Multitudes got saved, Jews and Gentiles alike. And, and the Holy Spirit was doing miracles. In fact, so, so much so that at Lystra, a man who was lame from birth uh, was healed. And, and the crowds thought, hey, we're, uh, we're going to worship you too as, as uh, uh, Zeus and Hermes. And then they changed their mind and they got rejected and so they felt a little embarrassed so they stoned Paul, left him for dead, dragged him out of the city there in Lystra. And God raised him up. And they went to Derby, preached the gospel again and then after having almost been killed or killed and raised, he goes back to Lystra and then back to these cities to to install elders in all of the churches. Now there's a church in the world. This is now modern-day Turkey. And so they go back to the sending church. Now they've straightened out some matters with some false teachers in Acts chapter 15. And now Paul says, hey, I want to go back. So that's the context there. Now, what happened there? Because this is pretty important because two men of God years later are gonna split over trying to understand what exactly happened there and if it's wise to take them on round two because they're gonna go now on round two and they need somebody trustworthy. Paul doesn't think it's smart. Uh, Why did John Mark go home? Well, we talked a little bit about it in Acts 13, but the, the first thing is probably reality set in. It was harder than he thought it was gonna be. You know, you get this romantic idea and the emotions are going, the music's playing, you raise your hand, I want to receive Jesus. (laughs) You know, and then what happens? You know, Monday morning, Tuesday, you know, Wednesday, a lot of things go wrong. And suddenly, reality sinks in and gone are the romantic, unrealistic notions of what it means to be a Christian or to serve 
on the mission field with two men of God. And so maybe just this spiritual immaturity, he's young, maybe the dangers got to him. Paul was getting sick at this juncture. And so maybe the dangers, the climb up the mountain range, he just wanted to go home, he got homesick. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, right? Uh, number two, uh, commentators say maybe he just freaked out and panicked because it was quite dangerous and there was already some persecution happening. Uh, and number three was the resentment because suddenly it was Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul. Now suddenly it's Paul and Barnabas. So uncle started leading and now suddenly this other guy's calling the shots. So commentators say, did that play a part where John Mark got his feelings hurt and he decided, you know what, it doesn't matter because it wasn't honorable. He discouraged them. It hurt them. Well, what's the deal, man? Paul's sick. We need to go up the mountain range. Uh, who's going to help us? The gear's heavy. The cooking, the, the, the help, the errands, the moral support. Doesn't it matter to you? No, it doesn't. You guys can handle it. I'm going to go home. Two strong words used in your text, verse 38. <coughs> John Mark deserted them. It's the word to cheat on your husband or wife, to be unfaithful. Number two there is he did not continue in the work. So Paul's point is this. Not only was he unfaithful to everything that we depended upon him for and everything he said, but also the work, the effort suffered because of this guy. So is it wise is it wise, given what we know, to bring him along? And so I can hear the conversation. It's time for uh, the second missionary journey to start. And so the Apostle Paul says to Barnabas, let's go check on the churches and see how they're doing. He's got a father's heart for those churches. He planted them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 15, Paul writes to the Corinthians and say, saying this, I became your father in the gospel. Those are his babies out there. He says, hey, it's time to go check on the kids, man. And so this is generated in Paul's heart. So uh, Barnabas says, great, let's do this. I'll go get nephew, John Mark. And Paul says, ah, oh, <laughs> uh, wait just a second. I don't think that's very wise. Now, in verse 38, you have in the Greek, Barnabas was determined to take John Mark. And in verse 38, you have Paul insisted that it was not wise. So you have uh, determined and insisted in two unyielding men. Now, so they lock heads, of course, and they get heated and they part ways. So there's a lot playing into what caused this very infamous falling out among two Christian brothers. I have written down here, let's put on our Dr. Phil caps, all right? And let's analyze this, all right, a little bit. Uh, what went into the, the fallout? Number one, their personalities. Paul is gifted and he's called and he has a personality that God is gonna use to write 14 of the New Testament epistles, 14 of them. He's a task-oriented guy. Let's get this done. We got a New Testament to write. Uh, we got to plant the, in, 
entire New Testament church was either planted by Paul or indirectly influenced by Paul. Every, name a church in the New Testament. Paul, 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 Paul. So let's not be so quick to just uh, brand him this task-oriented person and not understand the, the gifting and the calling. Now, of course, we've got Barnabas as type B. He's an, he's an encourager. He's soft and cuddly. He's like a big um, St. Bernard, all right? Uh, he, he was born with the name Joseph, but of course, we've talked about this before. Uh, the church got around him and said, man, you are an encourager. Let's call you son of encouragement or Barnabas. That's what it means. And so Barnabas type B, he's the kind of guy, hey, you know, uh, he's, he, he needs, uh, uh, he, he's got a lot of potential. He's growing. He needs the mentoring. Um, let's give the guy a second chance. Paul is saying, is it wise? We're talking about the work of God. Warren Wearsby put it this way. When Paul and Barnabas looked at a person, here's what Paul said. Paul said, what can they do for God's work? Barnabas said, what can God's work do for them? But we need both. That's why they were so good together. They were perfect. They complemented each other. And sometimes those differences that make us perfect together (laughs) cause the enmity between us. And so I think that was number one. I could hear Paul saying, men appointed to do the work of God ought to be stable, dependable, and trustworthy, Barnabas. And then I could hear Barnabas say, neither do we step over people in the name of ministry. What about love, grace, and second chances, Paul? Who's right? Both of them. All right. So... Number two reason that probably when it played into this disagreement is some past friction not resolved. In Galatians chapter two, when the false teachers come to the church with their their false teaching about Jews and Gentiles having to be apart from each other, Barnabas and Peter caved in. Barnabas was swayed by the false teachers Paul was left by himself. It's like, Barnabas, what are you doing? Barnabas was swayed, and so perhaps there's a little bit of that because this had just happened. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter five, when you have a falling out with somebody and there's an offense, he says, keep it really short. Keep short accounts. He says, if you remember, you're writing your, let me put it in today's vernacular. If you're writing your tithe check, and then you remember in the back of your mind, whoa, things are, are really off. I've offended somebody. And I have the power to make it right. Leave your time check in your wallet. Go and make that matter correct. Then come and give and worship me. Because this, to God, is as important as this. A lot of Christians just think, as long as I got this, you know, it doesn't matter about this, that, and the other thing. You know what? It does. Romans chapter 12, though, says, as far as it depends upon you, you do your best. You can't make everything right on your, you only have one end of it, right? But you can do your part, and it's important to God. God is saying it's so important that it will impede your efforts to worship me when you're not doing your part to make peace. You can't be everybody's best friend, but you can work it 
resolving to the best of your ability uh, that relationship. And then finally, what went into the split? Family ties, come on. Colossians chapter four, verse 10. He's Uncle Barnabas. That's, that's his sister's kid. His, Barnabas' sister's son is John Mark. Come on. Barnabas, you should have recused yourself, as it were. To recuse yourself is when a judge says, hey, I can't judge this case because that's my next door neighbor or that's my wife's best friend. <laughs> it's too close. Barnabas, you go to the elders and say, hey, man, that's my flesh and blood. That's my sister's kid. I can't see clearly. Number one, I'm an encouraging kind of guy. So my nature is, would do it anyway, whoever it is, but to make matters worse, he's flesh and blood. So help me out here. But he didn't do that. It would have been wise. I could just hear Barnabas right now. You know, <laughs> it's pretty easy for you, Reinman, right now, <laughs> to judge me after 2,000 years of church history. But, you know, that's just, I, I hear Barnabas in heaven saying, you know, what up, Reinman? Stop criticizing me. <laughs> anyway, I'm sure, uh, I'm sure he's not criticizing me from heaven. However, we're, we're taking a look at this. So both men of God are convinced and determined and settled in opposing views. You know when two things, uh, two vehicles do not yield, failure to yield, you know what happens? A kaboom, right? And so here comes the kaboom. <clears throat> Verse 39, a sharp disagreement. The word is very hot, white coal kind of hot. Uh, verse 39, they kind of shake hands and decide we're going to go our separate ways. I hope that they shook hands. Um, the word depart there, that they, when they split, it's only used one other time in the New Testament, and it's when the heavens are torn asunder at Armageddon. So apparently, they may not have shook hands. <laughs> <clears throat> verse 40, uh, Paul takes Silas. Barnabas grabs John Mark, uh, and they go off on a mission. John Mark and Barnabas go to, to the island of Cyprus, where Barnabas is from, and Paul and, Paul and, thank you. They're switching around now. Paul and Silas go overland around to the second missionary journey. Now, some positives. Number one, God always, you know, God's working. Now we have two missionary teams instead of one. That's nice. Uh, number two, Barnabas did a really good job uh, discipling his nephew because he was a really good writer. He wrote the Gospel of Mark, John Mark. Yeah, so the Lord was not done with this young man, and he did grow. Not only that, number three, uh, Paul and John Mark are reconciled by the end of Paul's life, so maybe 15, 20, 30 years later, uh, in several passages, Colossians chapter 4, verse 10, Philemon, verse 24, 2 Timothy 4, 11, it shows that Paul loves John Mark. John Mark has grown in grace, but so is Paul. Paul's mellowed out. He's older, and he says, John Mark is useful in ministry. And so God was working. Who's right? Well, both of them, and they probably both contributed uh, to the problem. You know, there's such a thing as being dead right, too. You know what? You may have had the right of way, but you know what? You got run over. 
So what good is it to be able to say, I had the right of way when you're dead, right? So, you know, did you get that? Okay, good, I'm glad. Seven second delay there. Um, I wanna say this, I'm inclined to agree with the, most of the commentators say, uh, they give the right to the Apostle Paul because the church doesn't commend Barnabas and John Mark. They're not in the text. They commend Paul and Silas. And you never hear from Barnabas again, and the journey goes with Paul the whole way. So commentators say, hey, it looks that way, but nobody can say uh, for sure. I have written down here, when the inevitable happens and, and Christian relationships part, I have written down here for myself, handle these things in the way you won't mind seeing it replayed again in front of the throne of God. All right, in other words, I was watching Christmas videos, you know, a while back, and I saw my haircut at the time, and I saw what I was wearing, and it was kind of embarrassing, you know? It was the 80s, right? <laughs> I had a mullet. I hate to confess that before you, but yeah, I did. I like this way better. <laughs> and I was thinking, if only I could think in the moment, 20 years later, we're all gonna be sitting around watching this scene. Uh, I would have worn something else and I would have changed the hair. Now, we're gonna see the videos of it all. So I like to live in a way thinking, how do I, I want the video to play of this unfortunate situation? Because not only does it play the exterior, it'll play the interior. How do you want that video to be seen? Do you want to come off looking like you were in the 80s? <laughs> no, you don't. You really don't. Number one, remember that your failures today can stumble others long after the incident. So buck up, John Mark, and stay the course. Number two, Paul, yield a little in love and try to find a middle ground. John Mark can come if Silas can come. The four of you go. Number three, Barnabas. When you know you're fogged up by emotions and prejudice, get some outside opinions. Number four, everyone. Keep short accounts with your friends and let love cover a multitude of sins. And remember, Christian friendships in life are tested all the time. In a fallen world, they don't always stay intact. Uh, people change. They make life choices. They say and do things that make intimate relationship virtually impossible. It is not a sin to choose friends you admire, like, and are inspired by. But it is a sin to hate and to slander and to resent and to undermine any future work of God involved with that person. So if you part, guard your heart. You wanna say that, don't you? You know you do. If you part, there you go. It's that easy. Okay, uh, let's move on. So here's the second mis missionary journey now, the second map. 
Barnabas and John Mark are going to leave from the sending church to Cyprus, while uh, Paul and Silas are going to go back overland instead of around. They're going to go in reverse, but the Holy Spirit is going to lead them uh, to Troas. And we'll get as far as verse 10 of chapter 16. That's as far as we get. And then this is all Europe and Greece. All right, this is all Turkey. And when you say Asia in the Bible, it means Turkey only. Doesn't mean anything we think of Asia. Asia Minor means southern Ephesus and uh, modern day Turkey. All right, so this trip will take three years. It'll be uh, let's see, 2,700 miles. It's covered from Acts 15:36, where we just picked up, all the way to chapter 18. Uh, 1,300 miles by sea and 1,400 miles by land. And so we make it to Troas uh, in, our, in our text. Okay, let's read it. He came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess, and a believer, but whose father was a Gentile or a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of Timothy. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Gentile or a Goy. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. All right, so number one was the team divided. Number two is going to be the team is strengthened. And now Timothy joins Paul and Silas here at Lystra. Very interesting in light of the conversation we just had last week that Paul duked it out, life and death battle. The, the Gentiles do not need to be circumcised, they do not need to become Jewish, nor do they need to keep the, the customs of the Jews to be saved. And now, he wants to take Timothy along and have him circumcised. Very interesting, indeed. We're gonna talk about that. Timothy is such a significant character in the New Testament. Did you realize, when you're reading your New Testament, that many times Paul starts a New Testament epistle with Timothy's name four or five times. Paul and Timothy writing. This, is, this letter's not just from me. It's from Paul and Timothy. Timothy had, is half Jewish but from his mother's side and Gentile father, all right? And so his mother's, his mother's mother, his grandmother, Lois, his mother, Eunice, and Timothy, apparently believing Jews who knew the Old Testament, first time through Lystra, first missionary journey, they heard the gospel and saw Paul stoned to death, raised from the dead, and then he comes back into the city. Those three become Christian Jews. Now, Timothy just takes off because he's had the Bible since he was a little baby, right? He didn't have Jesus. They all became believers, first missionary journey. And so Timothy bears two epistles in his name, first and second Timothy. This, this guy is a real special young man. Now, interesting, since Timothy's father is a Gentile, Paul wants him to be circumcised, not to save him, 
but to remove the stumbling block in front of Jews so that he can better evangelize them. Okay, so let me explain what I'm talking about. Biblically, biblically, Jewishness is passed to the father. That's how they thought. Uh, When Joseph goes to Egypt, he has an Egyptian wife. He has two babies, Manasseh and Ephraim. Those two baby boys are Jews because they are heads of tribes now. So it's passed through the father, biblically. Rabbinically, it's passed through mom. The rabbi said, listen, you can talk all day long who the father is, but we got the mother right here, okay? So if the mother's Jewish, then we know the kid is Jewish. Israel recognizes one Jewish parent, they'll give you a passport. So I thought about it. And I have two grandparents, my father's parents and my father. Then I thought on the application, they want to know religious preferences. And somebody already told me, if you say you're a pastor or a Christian, you'll never get a Jewish passport, an Israeli passport. So, so much for that. I like America. I'm an American. (laughs) Since the father is a goy, Paul wants to schlep him around with him. He wants to eat at the same table. He wants to go in the synagogue and not have everybody knows, oh, that kid's got a Gentile father. What's he doing sitting on this side of the church? He says, ah, I don't want any of that. So let's, even though this is so silly, let's get that done. And then when we walk in, there are going to be no problems. And guess what? As silly as it is, there's going to be one Jew who's going to listen a little more attentively and perhaps come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 14, verse 21. And I have a couple of these verses. Whoa, he's fast. It is better not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. Now, just hold that thought here. Paul is saying that there's no commandment about circumcision. But you know, we're going to live in love and we're going to play this smart. We're going to be wise as serpents, meek as doves. This is a stumbling block for people. Uh, it doesn't matter to us. It doesn't mean anything. Let's do it. Give them one less thing to squawk about. One less thing to say, hey, we don't want, want to hear your, about your Jesus. Oh, let's just take that away. So in matters where there's no commandment, like with wine or meat offered to sacrifices and uh, foreign gods, go ahead and use the law of liberty, the law of liberty. It matters to God how we live our Christian liberties in light of those who are around us. Paul also wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 13, Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause him to fall. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 20, to the Jew I became a Jew to win the Jew. Ah, that explains why he had Timothy circumcised. To the Jew, I need to relate to that guy as close as possible without compromising truth without sinning, but to take out a stumbling block so that we could get the gospel to the Jew, 
I became like a Jew to win the Jew. In fact, he says, F.F. Uh, uh, F. Bruce put it this way, Paul subordinated every other interest to the interest of the gospel. <laughs> it's not a command, but I'm going to do this so that you can hear better the gospel. Perhaps this will help you come to know Jesus. For example, we don't take an offering. I'll tell you why. We, we just don't pass the plate. I can, I should, it's biblical. Why don't I? Well, because it's always been on my heart to take a stumbling block and to silence the person who likes to sit at church and say, they're all about the money. Pass the plate, pass the plate, pass the plate. Always talking about money. Find one time in 11 years that I've talked about money when it's not in our text. Never. It never happens. So nobody can ever come to this church and leave and say, you know what? I didn't hear a word the guy said. You know why? Money, money, money. There goes the basket again. Everybody just money, money, money. Ah, you can't say that here. You know? I lay that aside. It is our right to pass the plate. But because of Christian love, I don't exercise my liberty in that regard. That's what Paul's saying about, you know, I have the right to eat a pork chop. You know what? But if this guy's sitting here, you know, you know, it's really offensive to me. I, I, you know what? I'm not going to eat the pork chop. You know, hey, I got a problem with that wine. It was dedicated to Zeus. I'm not going to have the glass of wine, but I could. Let me tell you a quick story. I was at the Redwood Gospel Mission ministering about eight years ago. There was a worship team there volunteering. They did not go to the church. I did not know them. After the service, I went to Chevy's across the street to eat dinner. I forget who was with me. But when I walked in, the worship team, a bunch of guys, were there, and they all had beer, big ones. I sat down. I said, hey, in the conversation, you know, I almost brought one of the guys. And it's right across the street. I don't know if... The, having beers on the table right after you led the worship of guys who alcohol destroyed their lives. One of them could wander in and use the bathroom for crying out loud. And then what do they see? They look and they see that. Here's the response I got. My Christian liberties are not to be determined by those guys' problems. Okay. Show me in the Bible. He says, Pastor Ross, you got a problem? with our alcohol, show me in the Bible where we can't have a beer. Oh, this is gonna be a long conversation, I said. Because <laughs> I'm gonna have to start at the whole 1 Corinthians 8 and what I just read to you about walking in love. You see, it rubs against the American grain that individualism and my Christian freedom is what it's all about. And Paul says, oh, no, no, no. I, I'll never drink wine again. I'll never eat a piece of meat again. If that's what it takes to take a stumbling block out of the way of a weaker brother, that's how we should be living. But a lot of people just don't see it that way. Why should I give up something that God doesn't condemn me about for the sake of somebody else? And they're leading worship. That's just the way it is around here in America. We all fight that. In fact, I think everybody fights that. You mean I have to give up something because somebody else got a problem? Yeah, yes. That's called Christian living. That's called 
moral character. Yeah, that's the way it is. And so we move on. That's why he said, Timothy, it's going to hurt a little bit. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's going to hurt a little bit. But uh, you know what? Could you hear Timothy? What am I going to do? You just said we don't have to do this. You just said the whole chapter. I just read a whole chapter where it says no, 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 no. And now suddenly let's do this. <laughs> he says it's about loving, about reaching them. This is why John Mark was a liability because the apostle, all he cared about is getting people saved. And John Mark was a liability to that effort. It's not that he didn't love John Mark, but he loved the cause of Christ and salvation to a lost soul more. And that's the issue there. We have one more point to consider. Finally this morning, six to 10, and we'll be done. Now, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas, During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. All right, so number one was the old team divided. Number two, the new team was strengthened. And now number three, the new team is guided. The new team is guided. I love this passage because it's in, it gives us insight about finding the will of God. In survey after survey, when Christians are asked, what's your, the number one uh, challenge in your Christian life? And what's your number one thing that's on your heart and mind as a Christian? It's always number one is finding God's will for my life always comes to the surface. And this gives us an opportunity to talk about how God leads us through inner prompting and he overrules external circumstances and makes his will known. I love Proverbs 16, 9. In his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Part of the evidence that you're saved and going to heaven is that God is leading you and you're not leading yourself. Romans chapter eight and verse 14 says, for those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. You want to ask yourself, am I a Christian? Am I saved? Is God leading you or are you leading yourself? Is this all about your own agenda and you just kind of tack God onto what you really want? Or is God the Holy Spirit leading you? Do you see, do you say, hey, I don't belong to myself. This is your work, this is your world. I didn't birth myself. I didn't get here through my own merits. I want to know what you want, God. You created me. This is your universe. You have a plan. You're the Lord of the church. What do you want right now? And so we see him leading in just like, just unbelievable ways right this morning. And so check out the map again. 
Here's what's happening. Paul and Silas get to Iconium. They want to go to Asia, Ephesus, this whole region. Ephesus is huge, huge importance. He will get there, but it's not the right time or place, and he's not the right person right now. It's a good thing. I can't believe God, God is forbidding a good thing because he's saying it's not the right time. I've got something else for you. So from Iconium, he's trying to go in here, and we don't know how, but he can't. So he's shooting up straight right here. It says he tried to go to Bithynia, and the spirit of Jesus made him turn west and drove him to a dead end at the sea. God loves dead ends. He really is into dead ends. He really, because he can use them. He can speak to us. His power is made perfect through those dead ends. Exodus 14. Read it. He leads Israel into a cul-de-sac, a total dead end by the Red Sea. The Red Sea is blocking them. He led them there on purpose and then stirs up. Pharaoh's chariots. And here they come, and the Lord says, I put you in a dead end for a reason. Now watch this. Watch what I can do in your dead end. So there's a dead end. Paul needs to know uh, where, where to go. Now, I personally prefer closed doors than open doors. Open doors confuse me. They're, they're everywhere, right? But a closed door, what are you going to argue? I mean, seriously, the door is closed, locked, done. Right? It's so easy. I like them. I want more closed doors. Well, uh, you know, initially they're painful. Okay, I admit it. You know, it depends how invested you are in that door. Right? But for me, it's like, well, obviously, for whatever reason, the all knowing, all powerful, ever present, good God has said no. And that's enough. That's enough for me. Revelation chapter 3, God opens doors nobody can close. He, he closes doors nobody can open, and he did a really good job right here. So here's Paul. He hits a dead end. He realizes, I would rather wait on the Lord with lack of clarity than forge ahead with my own plan. Paul teaches a lot. I'm sure it was frustrating. He's humbling as a leader, you know? No, it's not here, it's not here. And how did God do that? He forbid it, strong words, no, not here. Well, you know, sometimes it's outward circumstances because it's just impossible, inner prompting, a lack of peace, a change of heart, new information, all kinds of things could have happened there. Now, you know what's gonna happen, right? This sea here, the gospel's gonna go to Europe. This is all Greece. The gospel goes to Europe and the entire face of the world and world history will change. Had he not gone there, we would not be sitting here. We'd be very different people. All right, we'd be speaking different languages. If the gospel went to India and China instead, the whole thing changes. Right? He needs to get the gospel to Europe. And when that Macedonian call is saying, come to Europe and help us. And so if he would have gone straight up, he would have lost the whole thing. And the whole world uh, would have been very different. 
Now it says in verse 10, uh, we concluded uh, that God wanted us to go over to Macedonia to preach the gospel. All the closed doors, all the dead ends, uh, now the vision, uh, they said, we got it, Lord. We, who's the we? First time we've heard we. Luke, Luke has joined them in Troas. Luke is going to have three sections of we, and we're going to see that Luke is a part of the missionary team uh, for three different sections. And so now we know Luke is aboard. Something about God's nose, okay? Here's a quote for you. God's no can shake some Christians to the core. They end up getting angry, resenting others who seem to be getting all the yeses and they become sidelined in their own embittered souls. Their adverse reaction and reluctance to accept what God has ordained is a sign they have for far too long been accustomed to calling the shots and happier to serve God in order to get what they want instead of to do what he wills. How do we know God's will? Let me give you seven quickies. Number one, you gotta have a surrendered life. Romans chapter 12, one and two, if you're not surrendered, how can he direct? The horse that's not broken won't go where you want it to go. It's gotta be surrendered. Number two, a biblical life. Is it biblical? Psalm 119, 105, thy word, is a light unto my, a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Number three, a trusting life. Hebrews eleven six, you gotta have faith to please God. Number four, a God-centered life. Proverbs three and verse five, acknowledge God in all your ways and He will make your paths straight. Number five, is it? Number five, a wise life. Asking God, is this wise? Give me wisdom, James chapter one. Number six, a prayerful life. Listening for the still small voice, asking God. Ask and it shall be given. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. Matthew seven and verse seven. And then finally, peace. Is there peace in it? God often leads by peace. It can be very challenging, very upside down, but, but when it's God, there's that peace that doesn't make sense. It passes understanding. So those are just seven quick things to ask yourself when you're facing right or left, uh, forward or stop. Those are seven things that'll help you. Now, when God says no, let me close with a story that some of you have heard about how God used a very... Um, difficult no in my own life to to bring some great blessing. As a young man, I had just graduated from Bible college. I was 25 years old. I was single. And I accepted a call to to Thailand to be a missionary in training. I went through a program in Missouri. A lot of money was involved training me. A lot of time. I built up this real big desire and and burden for Thailand. Always had a thing about Asia from the beginning. 
I wanted to go with all my heart. What a long process, it took a year. And then I was commissioned, laid hands on, and sent to raise support. So I started preaching at different churches to raise my support to Thailand. And I ended up, I was living in Santa Cruz, but I ended up passing through Santa Rosa. And I spoke at a church that no longer exists. It was at the Rialto Theaters on Summerfield. It's Cornerstone. And I spoke in the morning and the evening. And uh, <laughs> it was just amazing. I love the church, but I'm going to Thailand. I live in Santa Cruz. It's bye-bye. In the evening, the pastor said to me, oh, the church really was warmed by... Yeah, the, the church likes you. I, if you don't go to Thailand, are you sure you're supposed to go to Thailand? Really? Because I would hire you in a heartbeat. And I said, no, you're kidding me. You know, I got my stationery, my prayer cards. I, I, <laughs> I've already raised my support. I've got, I'm going to Thailand. He said, well, you never know. <laughs> I left Santa Rosa. All I could ever think about, Santa Rosa, Santa Rosa, Santa Rosa, Santa Rosa. It tormented me for about a month. I called Springfield and I said, I can't go to Thailand. I'm sorry. I'm not feeling it. I feel I have no peace. I, I just hear this is like a big gong going off in my head every time anybody says Thailand. It's like wrong, wrong. <laughs> so I said, I, I just don't, I just, I'm sorry, I'm resigning. I just send back all the money. And uh, I, you know, they weren't very happy. Neither was I. I was embarrassed. I was brokenhearted. I called the guy in Santa Rosa and I said, hey, that offer's still good? He goes, you're kidding me. I said, I resigned. He goes, come on up. You're hired. Wow. So I moved up to Santa Rosa and I stayed at the associate pastor's house in a bunk bed with his other three kids. <laughs> It was so much fun. <laughs> I appreciated the, the, the duckies on the wall. <laughs> the morning. <sighs> You're the problem. <laughs> The morning I was introduced, I was sitting on the platform, and there was a song, a cute blonde. I was 25, I just said, Lord, if I don't go to Thailand, I would love to get married. <laughs> and the very first moment before the church even heard my name, I'm sitting on the platform waiting to get introduced, and Barb scrolls up and sings a solo that knocked everybody out, including me. And I just thought, hmm. <laughs> I would have missed her. I would have missed her if I went to Thailand. It took six months to, to, from the day we met to marriage. I don't recommend that. <laughs> I'm just saying that that's how it happened for us. My kids wouldn't have been here. I wouldn't have been here. I'm sorry, but you would not 
be here if I went to Thailand, right? I was devastated. I had a lot of questions. I look like an idiot, God. You've embarrassed me. What is this bozo bothering me in Santa Rosa for? <laughs> and then, Barb. And the Lord says, you didn't get Thailand, but you got a wife. <laughs> you didn't know God speaks with a Jewish accent? <laughs> He's Jewish for crying out loud. Surprise. <laughs> all right. Let me close with a quote, all right? At the time, this is David Guzik. At the time, prob probably Paul had no idea of the greatness of God's purpose in telling him no. God wanted to give him a continent for Jesus, not just a city. To give him a personal doctor and to give him and all of us the man who God would use to write more of the New Testament than anyone else, Dr. Luke. Luke wrote most of the New Testament. Luke and Acts. None of that would have happened without a no. Let us receive the open doors and the closed doors, the red lights, the green lights, the one, two, three lights, the yellow lights, whatever, from God. If you're open-hearted and seeking his will, it's win-win, friend. It's win-win. He'll take the no and do the most wonderful 30 years of bliss and happiness with. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the way that you lead, that you just block us when we need to be blocked for our good. You open doors, and you show us, and you entreat us, and you woo us with such love and tenderness. And, and Lord, I know it's hard to get the door slammed in the face, and I just pray if somebody's got a, an owie like that, Lord, that you would just... Help them to be encouraged and comforted and to keep their hearts sweet before you. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. The punch in point three, how to live for the Lord when things aren't going as planned. I wanted to go to Ephesus. I need to go to Ephesus. I want to go to, okay, I can't go to Ephesus. I'll go to Bithynia. No, you won't. <laughs> You're going to the sea all the way to a dead end for a very good reason. Oh, Christian brother and sister in the Lord, just shift into trust. Just, just don't try to figure it out anymore. Just, just morph into trust to believing and trusting. Sometimes when it gets so complicated and, and confused and all messed up, I just go, you know what? I trust you, God. I just trust you. And all the little stuff and all the details go away. And now I'm back to just serving God. A, a good and kind, loving Heavenly Father leads me beside still waters and makes me lay down in green pastures. Come on. I know the plan I have for you, plans to prosper you, to help you. I'm not, gonna, I'm not up here trying to hurt you. Trust me. Well, look at my life. Ah, wait till you see it from my perspective. It looks a lot different. Trust the Lord. 
surrendered to him. He's got a good plan. Heavenly Father, we need help. We know in our hearts everything's ringing. Yes, 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 that's the answer. And then the, the flesh, the weak flesh, the human sinful self, the doubting and anxious and resentful. God, help the Holy Spirit to overcome in our own hearts and help us to cooperate with the truth. God, you're good. You've got a good plan. And you're working all things together for that good. We surrender everything to you. We trust you. Have your way, God. Open the doors that nobody can shut and shut those doors that nobody should open or ever want to open. We thank you because you're good. In Jesus' name. All God's people said a hearty amen. amen. That's what I'm talking about. All right, don't forget the prayer at the cross or, or else we'll see you next Sunday. No Wednesday night service.